From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. This November, California voters will have their say on several ballot propositions and initiatives. What are the implications for California? We'll ask. John Myers with the LA Times and Laurel Rosenhall with CalMatters. Additional funding for the Maddie Report made possible by a grant from The Wonderful Company, harvesting health and happiness around the world. As well as support from Era Energy LLC, Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant, Nossaman LLC, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. As well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins & Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the California Channel at the State Capitol and the Maddie Institute, it's the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome, I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Well, the November ballot's going to be asking Californians to weigh in on a number of public policy issues. We're fortunate to have two well-respected observers of state politics to explain the what and the why uh, behind the November's propositions. We have Laurel Rosenhall, the uh, covers capital po- uh, California politics for Cal Matters, and John Myers, the Sacramento Bureau Chief with the LA Times. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so, Laurel, um, sorry for mangling that there in the beginning. I apologize. Affordable housing. Uh, big issue in California. Um, number of props on the state uh, ballot. Uh, for example, we've got Prop 1, a $4 billion bond uh, for affordable housing. We've got the Prop 2, the $2 billion initiative for permanent housing aimed at chronically, the chronically homeless and the mentally ill. Are either one of these a game changer? Not a game changer, but a major infusion of you know one-time cash. So um, they would help a lot in terms of building new housing, but it's not going to... The kind need of, is huge. I was just going to say, it's not going to take care of the entire need. Yeah, what, what do you think? Well, consider, consider one of the numbers out of this, Mark. Um, in a lot of years, the state roughly builds about 100,000 new homes. It needs to build double that number. And the bond measures that we're sitting here talking about, they're certainly helpful for veterans. They're helpful for uh, uh, lower income Californians. They don't help middle class Californians. And they don't help, I think, the systemic problems that you see in Southern California, in the Bay Area. It's, it's not enough. I mean, everybody's going to say something is better than nothing. The question is, what else could we do? Should we be doing? Yeah, kind of driving the bucket. I was looking at the numbers, and they're saying that the backlog by 2025, we need to build 1.8 million homes to cover the backlog. And if you want to satisfy demand, lower prices, you got to add another 1.7 million. So we're talking, I'm not sure my math is right, 3.5 million new homes by 2025. It's that's a lot of new homes. Well, and not only that, but you you, know, you look at any given year, you just haven't done uh, what you need in the year, and then you look at what the candidates for governor, uh, like I'm reminded of numbers that were like 300,000, 500,000 a year. That hasn't been uh, done in any year in modern California history. You know, in 2012, John, uh, Governor Brown nixed uh, these things called local redevelopment agencies, RDAs, and about a billion dollars of that money, he was trying to save because of the uh, budget constraints, of RDA funds was going to uh, right. affordable housing. Is Prop 1 and 2, are they an attempt to kind of get back to that? I don't think so. Um, I, one, because they're limited. They're veterans, low-income Californians. Um, the money probably won't get distributed statewide in the way redevelopment agencies existed. And then keep in mind, too, redevelopment agencies went away in part because they had a lousy track record in a lot of places for actually building housing versus well, using money for other things. In some instances, uh, 
only about a fifth of the money actually went to housing versus uh, development. Well, there were some anecdotes cities. that were just yeah. yeah really problematic. Um, what do you think if if we see these props fail? Are we going to see another attempt to create a kind of an RDA 2.0? I think you're going to see that either way. Okay. Um, Assemblyman David Chu has already. Um, said that he plans to bring it back, and he really, the only stumbling block for him has been Jerry Brown, who doesn't want to do it. So next year with a new governor, I absolutely expect that'll come back. Yeah, I want to jump over to, to Prop 10, um, which is a, a law that repeals uh, restrictions on cities and counties from enacting rent control measures. Um, are the arguments that it's going to save or, or devastate uh, the housing market really overstated? What do you think, Laurel? I think that there's a lot of hyperbole in all of these propositions, mm -hmm. and that one, you know, included. Um, you know, it is. Uh, it's 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 a. Re there's a lot of studies that show that the impacts of rent control are um, very hurtful on the you know local housing markets. At the same time, there are um, persuasive arguments from people who are in cities without rent control, who are seeing their rents go up and up and up, mm -hmm. and who are really begging for some kind of relief. What do you think, John? I think the hardest part about Prop 10 uh, is that it is simply releasing um, the restrictions on rent control. It doesn't mandate rent control will happen. It doesn't change anything guaranteed in any community in California. And there are these economic push points about that people will no longer rent these places if they are limited on what they can make on it. Mm -hmm. but, but I think to Laurel's point exactly, people say uh, lots of things in campaigns. Uh, this would be one step, but it's a small step and it's not a guaranteed yeah, step. And law Makers in Sacramento ultimately have to come up with the That's a really solution. important point. It's local control issue. Uh, eventually, if, if it does pass, let me ask you one last question, John. Sequa, uh, uh, you know, the California Environmental Quality Act. A lot of people, certainly Republicans, point to that law as, as really hurting the ability to, to build more housing. Um, you think there's going to be an attempt, regardless of what happens on these propositions, to amend CEQA? Uh, it's, it's, it's been talked about a lot. Uh, Governor Brown, who of course will be leaving office shortly, has said there was never a CEQA exemption that he didn't like. Um, but doing it is, is, a, is a tricky thing, and the reason it hasn't been done, I think in part, is because uh, there are environmentalists who believe you don't throw all of this out. You don't uh, completely gut this law that um, actually makes people take a second look at the environmental impact of, of things. I think that CEQA is a ballot measure waiting to happen. The question is, is there money behind uh, construction groups, business groups to, to move it forward or not? I don't know, but it's got to go to the ballot. There's a prediction for, for 2020. Well, <laughs> up next, uh, a water prop is on tap. Uh, that conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Ro Laurel Rosenhall with Cal Matters and John Myers with the LA Times. Water is one of those perennial California public policy issues. We're, we're at it again, Laurel. Um, so Prop 3 the Water Supply and Quality Act of 2018 would authorize about $9 billion in bonds for a wide variety of uh, specifically detailed water projects. Um, given that it follows Prop 1 and 2, are voters going to have bond fatigue when they hit Prop 3? I would say it's possible, but not likely. Generally, the pattern has been that voters approve bonds and are, are okay with borrowing money if they like the purpose. Um, on the other hand, you know, we did just have a water bond a few months ago on the June ballot, and so depending on how tuned in they are, you know, that may be a factor. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I think if there's ever a test to see if voters won't um, support a bond measure, it could be Prop 3. It could be, simply because um, of, the, of the points that Laurel just stated. Uh, also, too, you look at the ballot analysis, we're talking about something that will cost, over time, $17 billion, about $8 billion in bonds, about $17 billion to pay it all off with interest. Um, 
They were very smart, the backers of Prop 3, in getting a lot of buy-in from a lot of groups, uh, ag and environmentalists and conservation people. There is no formal opposition to Prop 3. But this, follow, so, this follows other water bonds. Yeah. You know, we had a water bond in June, right. um, and we had one in 2014. Uh, the one in June was $4 billion. The one in 14 was $7.5 billion. And the proponent of Prop 3 has even said that this is almost like where the 2014 measure that Governor Brown sp uh, supported, Prop 1, left off, that it's that kind of projects. I think people will say that, that uh, the water supply is important in California, that the mechanics, the, the needs are, are real. Whether this is the right one remains to be seen, but voters do not have problems with bonds. To, to Laurel's point, they just say, hey, that's fine, let's do it. Let's fill the reservoir, which <laughs> Laurel aims me to my next question, that is on water supply. It's in the title, the Water Supply and Quality Act of 2018, but only about $2 billion, less than a quarter of the money, actually goes to increasing the supply of water. Um, despite that, Prop 3 has the backing of agribusiness. Why is ag accepting not even half, but really a quarter of a loaf? Because two billion dollars is two billion more than zero. Okay. I mean, honestly, I just think that, you know, in order to get something that was going to be politically viable, they needed that broad coalition that John described. You know, you need to have environmentalists on board. It can't be an ag-only deal. And so everyone kind of who's supporting it is getting some of the projects that they that they think are best for the state. And so does this mean the water wars are solved? No, I don't think. No, of course <laughs> not. We wouldn't be that crazy to say that. But let's not forget, to your point about agribusiness, Mark, um, everybody uh, wins if California has more water. And like, look at Prop 3. It has uh, water conservation, ways to, you know, to make sure that we're not wasting water, water, uh, you know, recycling issues. I mean, it, 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 so my point is, um, it doesn't change the system of water, but if there's more water in existing rules, if you're the agribusiness community, maybe you think that's a pretty good deal that therefore, you know, it helps you in the long run. Well, some of the, the opponents, John, saying that this is really a pay-to-play uh, situation, that some special interests are receiving special funding guarantees. They specifically point to the $750 million of the $1.2 billion to repair canals going to a specific canal, the 152-mile Kern-Friant uh, Canal in the Valley. Uh, proponents, though, on the other side would say, listen, water is vital to, to California's infrastructure. It's vital to ag that feeds the nation. They also argue that the reason why we're in this predicament is because of government regulations, lack of surface storage being built. That caused the overdraft in groundwater, and that caused subsidence. Um, what do you think the voters are going to think? Um I don't know. It depends on whether the voters dig down that deep, I guess, is the question. But, you know, the idea that there are uh, special carve-outs and exemptions for people, that, that's true. But they're the people who backed it. They're the people who gathered the signatures. They're the people who put up the money to do it. And that is the direct democracy system in California. I would also point out that one of the reasons people do that is because uh, initiatives are a lot harder to change than um, measures that are put on the ballot by the legislature. They can go back in and tinker their public hearings. You get pretty much what you want if you go raise three million bucks and gather signatures and get it on the ballot. Well, let me ask you, Laurel, uh, kind of going to that point, you know, the Prop 3 opponents would argue that unlike the June water bond, this water bond was not vetted by the legislature, but rather kind of crafted in secret. Um, do they have a point, or is this a distinction um, really without a difference? I mean. It, Lobbying and that kind of stuff happens with legislation too. Sure. Backroom deals. I would say it's a distinction with a small difference. You okay. know, there, are, there, um, clearly, there are you know lobbyists who work the Capitol and make backroom deals with the legislators. There's no surprise about that. Um, on the other hand, the process in the legislature is going to allow for those who are engaged to you know have the means to be represented in the state capitol to kind of get the updates along the way and push for little amendments and little tweaks and a few more dollars here and a few less dollars there.
there. And so because there's a little bit more of a process, you know, there is more opportunity to have some input as opposed to something that gets on the ballot. Once it's qualified for the ballot, that's it. Can't be tinkered or changed at all. And it comes, I know you've done some, some work on this in this area in terms of lobbying and, and whatnot in the state legislature. Do you see this as a distinction without a difference? Um, I think everybody says that when they're not at the table, right? Everyone okay. complains until they get their moment in that. And when you see who these people are, if you're not one of them, you get unhappy. But again, there's there's very little formal opposition to these bonds, and right. we haven't seen campaigns on these bonds. And I would think if you had a concern about it, you would run a campaign in some way to point right. that out. Right. Well, there's no opposition with any money at this point. Well, I mean, Sierra Club is against it and some newspaper editorial boards, but there's no money right. campaign. Well, up next, we're going to talk about one of those contentious propositions. That's Prop 6 uh, on the ballot. Up next, uh, when this discussion, the Maddie Report continues. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Perhaps no proposition on November ballot has generated more interest than Prop 6, the effort to repeal SB1, the 12 cent uh, gas tax, among other things. Uh, our guests are Laurel Rosenhall with Cal Matters and John Myers with the LA Times. So, John, uh, although generally characterized as a repeal of the state's new fuel taxes and vehicle fees, there's an important aspect of this proposition that may be over, being overlooked, and that is it would require voter approval of any future fuel and uh, vehicle related taxes and fees. What are the implications of that? Well, um, the, well, the implications simply are that the legislature won't be able to take action in the way it has in the past and certainly won't be able to do what it did uh, in increasing gas taxes in 2017, which is what this is all about. It really, to me, Mark, it's the sweetener of this, right? I mean, it's the thing, you know, voters love to vote they in do. the state on ballot measures. And any idea that you, on budget matters. Right. Well, budgets, taxes, things no. like that. Mm -hmm. Anytime you tell them you're going to get to have a say at that, that is what I think was, was designed to try to kind of boost that turnout. The polling hasn't shown it so far. I think they're struggling to get their message out. But I think clearly that was aimed at trying to get a yes vote uh, that much more so. There's so that ballot box budgeting uh, issue again, Laurel. Um, so what do you think? Uh, pretty important implications if that thing passes? Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, cities and local governments are terrified about this mm -hmm. idea. And part of the problem is that, you know, this gas tax known as SB1 is really focused on maintaining the roads, really unglamorous kinds of projects, filling potholes, doing kind of some basic maintenance. And it's a basic government function. is Correct. But if you are now tasked with going to the voters to ask for money, then usually you're going to want to peddle something shiny and new. And how are you going to sell voters on the idea of, you know, we've just got to pave the roads? Well, let me ask you this. A lot of people seem to acknowledge that this proposition, Prop 6, is really about energizing the Republican base, uh, getting them out to vote, and particularly in those contested congressional races mm -hmm. in California. Will it be enough to overcome the Trump factor in California? That was the goal. I'm not sure it's going to pan out, honestly. Um, you know, the recent polling doesn't look encouraging, and competitive districts only a little over a third of likely voters said they plan to vote yes on this. Now, um, you know, it, there's still another month to go, but the no camp, I'm sorry, the yes campaign doesn't have a huge amount of money, and I'm not sure in the end that'll be a huge game changer. I think, I think one of the most fascinating things out of this to me is that it's somewhat counterintuitive what you have to do as a voter here, because mm -hmm. if you don't like the gas tax, you have to vote yes. Right. Mm -hmm. If you like the gas tax, you have to vote no. And that's not the normal messaging you get in a campaign. It's like, no gas tax, but yes, oh, yes. on Prop 6. <laughs> so I think that is struggling there, too. And honestly, they just don't have the money. I mean, all of the, the construction industry, the building industry, um, organized labor, the governor's backers, business groups are all in it for the gas tax to exist as it does. 
Um, the, the backers of the repeal have not had money after those congressional candidates put the money in. It's a really tough race. I think it's going to, there are fractures there in the Republican Party between the business interests who, who want SB1 to stay in place and the anti-tax groups that want to get rid of it. I mean, is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. I mean, and, and the business groups have backed a lot of Republican politics in the past. You wonder if there's an after effect to all Well, this. I think this is part of kind of a bigger evolution we're seeing with business groups in California. You know, they're they're no longer wedded to the Republican Party. You know, they have put a lot of money into fostering a cohort of moderate Democrats in the state legislature, right. and they have seen that the way to kind of get their policies across is to convince Democrats. So I don't see, I, I, I see this whole dynamic is kind of part of that bigger evolution well, for business. Flip it. What about the Democratic Party? You've got a situation there where typically they don't like regressive uh, taxes mm-hmm. like a sales tax. Um, why haven't we heard more opposition from you know, progressives and, and Democrats you know, saying, you know, we don't want the gas tax either? I mean, some people are saying that. It's not that no one's saying it, but generally you have just an enormous broad range of constituencies that want this thing, including, you know, construction unions and many of the trades that this is going to be a ton of jobs. I, I, I think you, I think that's right. And I think also, too, the backlog is real. There have been uh, years and years Anybody and years. who drives knows that. Yeah, the backlog is real. Um, and there really is no other way to do it. There's, there simply hasn't been. You know, the, the, the opposition to the gas tax has said, well, you could use money from this pot or that pot or redirect this. But those are really complicated, very hard to do. I think the Democrats in the Capitol knew this was really the only thing to do. And even if they didn't love it, regressive tax is a really good point. They held their nose and went for it. And so we're going to see in November where the voters are. Uh, let me ask you this. Governor Brown's sitting on $15 million uh, in campaign uh, war chest. We don't know if he's going to run again for something. But let's assume he's, he's not. Is he going to use some of that? That money to not help? a chance really? not a chance I, I don't think so no, it's, it's a bold prediction right I'll see if I'm wrong by the time voters uh, see this show I don't think he does because I think that's his seed money to play in politics after he leaves in uh, the end of the year I don't think Jerry Brown's going away I think Jerry Brown wants to remain a force I would also point out to people that on the 2020 ballot we think we're going to see another fight over his parole changes um, which he really cared about in 2016 prop 57 he could want to come back and campaign to that they have plenty of money to try to protect the gas tax in this campaign I don't think Jerry Brown you're gonna make it unanimous I was going to give a softer no. I was going to say basically. <laughs> I, <went out> there. <laughs> I was going to basically say only if he has to. I mean, if this, if kind of like the polls start changing a lot, or you know, someone comes in with a huge amount of money for for the other side, and circumstances really change, maybe he throws in a, a couple million dollars. But right now, it, you know, there's no there's no reason he well, would. We're going to know shortly. All right. Well, up next, what are some of the other props that voters are going to be asked to decide? The remaining props in the November ballot in a moment. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking to Laurel Rosenhall with Cal Matters and John Myers of the LA Times. So, John, uh, Prop 5 uh, would amend the state constitution to give older and severely disabled homeowners a tax break. Um, Do you think it has going to have any effect on the split role proposal that's likely to appear in the 2020 ballot? Well, it's certainly in that universe of how Prop 13 and property taxes work, right? I mean, we've talked... You might want to define split role for our audience. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, first of all, you're right. It depends on how long people want to watch (laughs) this, right? right. I mean, you go back to 1978. We know how we got uh, Prop 13. We know the limitations it places on property tax payments. This particular measure, though, Mark, before we get to split role, this particular measure simply extends uh, a process that works in some counties where uh, older Californians can effectively take their property tax rate with them when they move to a new house. Split roll, which of course is the, the, the big daddy of them all, right, is the one to, to change commercial property valuations uh, policy so that you would reevaluate them earlier, you'd pay more in taxes and commercial properties versus uh, personal. I don't know. I don't know 
how much people will drill into that on this one. I don't know if they'll understand this one. The realtors put this one on the ballot. I, I you know, I just hate to say I don't know. I don't know. What do you I think, think well. The thing here is that the realtors have put a second measure on the 2020 ballot, which is very similar to this one that we have this November. And so basically, if this one fails, then in 2020, there will be two Prop 13 related measures on the ballot kind of moving in different directions. So I think it impacts the um, calculus, the political calculus for the supporters of split role in that they may wind up sort of facing their enemies very directly on the ballot um, in 2020 with these two conflicting things. But again, that's several chess moves away. I think the better, the, 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 the fascinating question for me is what do the realtors want? You know, mm -hmm. I think the realtors wanted, uh, quite frankly, a legislative deal in Sacramento in 2018. Mm -hmm. yeah. They didn't get it. They got this on the ballot. Mm -hmm. It's there where it is. Laurel's right. They've got one teed up for 2020. They could pull that back. There's still time mm -hmm. that they could pull that off the ballot. What do they want? What? Where are they involved in this mighty split-roll property tax uh, war that we are shaping up for for 2020? I think it's going to be super interesting. That's going to be a big one. You know, Prop 7 is another one we wanted to talk about, and that was the legislature. We provided the legislature the ability to uh, provide permanent daylight savings time if the federal government allows. A timely top, uh, topic or a waste of time? <laughs> I know, probably, probably too clever, but... You know... Um, Let me check my watch. Yeah. <laughs> right. The real answer on this one is that I think Brown said it in his signing message. It just allows a very circuitous path to actually making any changes. There would be numerous political and bureaucratic steps along the a way. A great signing message, by the way. So, right, yes. <laughs> right. Ending with like. Fiat Lukes. Yes, exactly. So... Um, so I think that this is one that is like a talker, but doesn't really have a big policy impact. Uh, quickly, what do you think? It does nothing. It really does. I mean, it always sets the, the stage possibly for something in the future, also known as it does nothing. Okay, so John, let's talk about there's a bunch of other propositions on the ballot, but not as many as we've seen in the past. Does that mean some of the legislative reforms that we've seen in the past, uh, like redistricting, longer term limits in one house, two primary system, uh, top two primary, is it having an effect? Things are getting done in the legislature. We don't have to go to the propositions. I don't know if I could be that rosy completely. I mean, I think that those changes in 2014 have had an impact. We've seen it in a couple of places, right? We saw it in 2016. There was a minimum wage measure that was going to be on the November ballot. Uh, the sides got together. The governor and the legislature uh, raised the minimum wage. The system worked there. It certainly worked in 2018 when a San Francisco real estate developer came forward with this sweeping privacy measure. He got it on the ballot. The legislature moved in what? A matter of days. Mm -hmm. It was knocked off the ballot. It does work in some places. It doesn't work in others. And I'll give you two really quickly that are on this November ballot that show that. Prop 8, Prop 11. Prop 8 is about kidney dialysis centers. Mm -hmm. uh, they would have loved to have had a deal on um, unionization of workers and wages and cost. They didn't get it. They went to the ballot. Prop 11 is about ambulance employees and rest breaks. They also wanted something in the legislature. It didn't happen. They went to the um, ballot. The ballot is still the, the court of last resort. What do you think, Laurel? Well, I would just point out as a side note that, you know, there's one more in addition to three that were removed because of deals in yep. the legislature. Um, that three initiatives that would have otherwise been on this ballot. Um, there's one that was removed by the courts, you know, and that splitting, was the... Splitting the state. Exactly. Yeah. So that was kind of, you know... Maybe next time. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't speak to the efficacy of the legislature, but it does go to show you that there are a lot of different forces at play. You're listening to the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition on KMJ.
Welcome. Prop 6, the gas tax repeal, is among the most contentious on the November ballot. Before we hear the pro and con of the proposal, we want to first get a nonpartisan analysis of Prop 6. We're joined by Paul Galazuski, um, who's an expert in transportation from the nonpartisan Legislative Analyst Office. Welcome. Thanks. So first, can you briefly explain how transportation funding uh, works in California? How much is spent on transportation? Where does the money come from? Sure. Uh, transportation funding in California totals about $35 billion annually. This pays for transportation infrastructure, such as road and highways, as well as transit and rail services. A little more than half of the funding comes from local government sources, primarily sales taxes, transit passenger fares, and city and county general funds. About one-third comes from state sources, primarily taxes on gasoline and diesel, as well as certain vehicle taxes. And then the remaining $7 billion comes from the federal government, and they get their revenues primarily from taxes on gasoline and diesel. Okay, so how are state taxes approved generally? How does that work? So there's two ways that state taxes can be approved. Um, first, the legislature can pass a bill containing a tax with a two-thirds vote. Supermajority. Supermajority, and then have it signed by the governor. Okay. The second way is the voters can pass a proposition at an election that contains a tax. Okay. Um, so how are state fuel and vehicle fees levied? So the state has what are known as excise taxes okay. on gasoline and diesel fuel. We see those at the pump. Yes. Okay. These are charged per gallon of fuel that you purchase. Mm -hmm. So for gasoline, it's currently 41.7 cents per gallon. Okay. And for diesel, it's 36 cents per gallon. Okay. There's also sales tax on gas and diesel, but the rates are a little bit different for a variety of um, historical fac factors for those. In terms of the vehicle taxes, there's two, um, two vehicle charges that are colloquially referred to as car taxes generally. Mm -hmm. The first is the vehicle license fee. That oh, yeah. one's been around for many, many decades. Yes, we all know we signed that check. Yes, that okay. one you pay when you register your car. Right. It's um, a little over one half of 1% of the value of the car. Okay. The second one is new. It was created by Senate Bill 1, and it's called a transportation improvement fee. Okay. That one can vary from $25 to $175, depending on the value of your vehicle. Right. But most people pay $25 or $50. Okay. Um, fees or taxes, uh, it seems like. I mean, it's the same thing. You're paying the government. Um, there's also a, a, a amount in there for elect uh, electric vehicles, uh, electric cars. Right. That fee has not taken effect yet. Okay. That will start um, a few years from now, and that would be $100 for vehicle, um, electric vehicle owners. Okay, so that's all kind of sets up the issue of why we, or why are they trying to get more money. The argument is that there's $54 billion in a backlog of highway and road maintenance in California. Then um, we add local roads into it, some of them, what is it, uh, CSAC, uh, the, uh, the organization for counties, uh, says that it could be up as high as $130 billion when you add local roads. Uh, road issues and maintenance in, in that. So this money is going to be paid, it's about $5 billion a bit more, over 10 years um, for highway and road projects. Um, how are those funds going to be allocated? Yeah, so Senate Bill 1 increased um, the gas and diesel excise taxes, diesel sales taxes, and it created the transportation improvement fee. Um, it's estimated it'll raise about $53 billion over the 10 years. A little years. shorter of the 54 that they say they need. Right. And not all that money is going to, to road maintenance. It's no. About two-thirds is specifically for road and highway repairs and maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, the rest is for various programs, some of which are to alleviate congestion, improve trade corridors, some are transit programs. Um, in terms of how the funds are allocated, there are specific formulas set forth in the legislation. They're a bit complicated. 
but I'd say generally the way to think about it is the gas and diesel excise tax money is generally paying for the road and highway maintenance okay. and repairs. The diesel sales tax money is generally paying for transit. Okay. And then the new transportation improvement fee pays for both. Okay. Um, how much is it going to cost the average driver in California? So most drivers use gasoline. Um, and when you look at how much gasoline is being consumed and how many drivers there are and, and how much the new tax is, it works out to about $70 per driver per year for the gas excise tax. Um, in addition, as I mentioned earlier, the transportation improvement fee, most people are going to be paying either $25 or $50. On average, it's closer to $50. So altogether, about $120 um, per year. Now, this it's going to vary for specific individuals depending on the fuel right. economy of their car. Um, and that also doesn't include the effect of the diesel taxes. And then the question is, how much is it going to cost to fix your front end if, if you're going down bumpy roads? Anyway, thank you very much for that conversation. Up next, a view in support of Prop 6, John Kapal from the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. What are the arguments for supporting Prop 6 and repealing the gas tax? Our guest would know. He's John Kapal of the yeah. Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. It's always a pleasure to be here, Mark. Thank so, you. Why, not, why are you supporting Prop 6? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. Number one, California is already overtaxed. But number two, I don't think anyone disputes the fact that California roads are in terrible shape, and we need to do something about it. The problem is that the gas tax that was passed last year without voter approval via SB1 was done so without any reforms, without any reforms over Caltrans, without any reforms over CEQA, without any labor reforms. So. If we're going to have the nation's highest gas tax, shouldn't we also have some reforms that go with oh, it? You're, you're, you're close about the highest. We're number two, my understanding is, we're, after this tax, uh, we'll be behind Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania or Connecticut, one of the two. I think yeah, you're right, right. though. Pennsylvania. Yeah. So yes. anyway, we're close. We're, we're, <laughs> For let, a second. Let's debate that point. <laughs> right. You want to be number one or number well, two. Well, there is. I mean, listen, there's a $54 billion maintenance backlog. And you know, you, everybody knows the roads are in pretty bad shape. Uh, if we don't fix it, it's just going to get bigger. So... Uh, if Prop 6 passes and the gas tax is repealed, where is the money going to come from to address that maintenance backlog? Well, no, well, number one, I think one of the things that Assemblyman Vince Fong uh, introduced last year, which couldn't even get a hearing, is a comprehensive plan on how to address our backlog and transportation needs. And the, the, the Republicans in the California legislature came up with a plan of $12 billion almost immediately without tax increases, and they did that by moving some funds around, also by using some of the general fund. Remember, Governor Brown's father, Pat Brown, dedicated a significant portion of the general fund to infrastructure. The general fund has been increased $36 billion in six years, and how much of that money has gone to transportation? Zero. So I think this is part of the mix. Well, yeah, you're, you know, there's $138 billion general fund. Um, it's, it's large, but the Sacramento Bee did an analysis of the Republican proposal, and they're saying, well, maybe not so much. Um, so they're talking about a lockbox lock where they're going to mm -hmm. set aside $1.3 billion there. <laughs> they're talking about a car sales tax, $6.5 billion there. They're talking about administrative, administrative and regulatory reforms. They said billions. I'm not sure some yeah. kind of savings there. But they looked at each of these, and they said, well, you know, the bottom line is money's got to come from somewhere, so someone's sure. budget is going to have to get cut. The concern on the other side, I think, is that if you do go to the general fund, well, then something else is going to get cut in the general fund, and or if you go then to local agencies, mm -hmm. same thing. There are going to be budget cuts. That a concern to you? Well, for, first of all, the Republican plan had a significant portion of money going to the local. So, And, and by the way, we, we do believe that the local governments should be well-funded and should be the point people 
on a lot of these transportation it's issues. It's kind of a local control It issue. is a local control yeah. issue, and, and we 100% agree with that. But remember, the LAO said that Caltrans was overstaffed by 3,500 engineers costing half a billion dollars. You know, they, that's, kind of, that's the kind of thing that we look at and say, if we're going to have that kind of waste, and if we're going to have the international joke known as high-speed rail, that is transportation spending. That's a whole other... That, that is not different, because you cannot argue that high-speed rail is not a transportation. No, no but there's one thing I want to go back. You are right. The LAO did give a report saying that uh, Caltrans was could potentially be overspending by $500 million on sure. staff, but they came back on a more recent report kind of pulling back on that analysis and saying, well, maybe not so much. The reality mm -hmm. is, too, $500 million is a lot of money in anybody's view. Sure. But we're looking at a $54 billion maintenance shortfall. So the $500 sure. million is not going to, it's, you know, what, 2% uh, or whatever. Yeah, but billions are being generated, billions are being generated by the existing gas tax. Remember, if Proposition 6 passes, California will be, oh my gosh, in that horrible position of having the fifth highest gas tax in the nation. Explain to me and, and the taxpayers of the state of California where we already have the highest income tax rate, highest state sales tax rate, why it is that we cannot even put asphalt on the roads by having the fifth highest gas tax in America. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, President Trump's talking about an infrastructure plan. He's talking, sure. he's talked about, he's floated a proposal of a 25 cent increase in, in the federal sure. gas tax. Right. Uh, if it's good for the feds, why isn't it good for California? It happened 12 cents. Well, gallon. as you said, he floated the idea. How, how far did it get? <laughs> uh, he got a lot of blowback on that, again, because I think Americans uh, view themselves as overtaxed, and could Californians particularly so. Uh, again, we, we are in a situation where the middle class is being squeezed, and we're seeing 1.2 uh, million people move out of the state in terms of net domestic out-migration in the last eight years. And that's a lot of that's middle class people. If, if you can't afford to stay here, then transportation issues almost become secondary. Yeah, California is, is no question, it's, it's a high cost state. Let me ask you one quick question, we only got about 30 seconds. So, sure. um, part of this, of, of Trump's plan was uh, federal dollars, but in order to get federal dollars to the states, typically you have to get a match. Right. Um, are we kind of being penny wise and pound foolish by not having the money to make the match to get the federal funds? Well, I think we, we do provide the funds, and one of the things we could do is we could move the truck weight fees that are currently being diverted to the general fund to pay off bonds, move those back to direct transportation. And, and we could also apply the sales tax on automobiles to transportation. That makes sense. It's a complicated issue, and that's why we had you here. Thank you very much for joining us. Up next, a business leader who supports the new gas tax and opposes Prop 6, Alan Zarenberg with the California Chamber of Commerce. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Well, a major business organization has taken the unusual step of supporting a tax increase. Why? We're going to ask our guest. Alan Zarenberg is the president and CAO of the uh, California Chamber of Commerce. So, welcome to the Matter Report. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here and talk to your uh, uh, listeners and viewers. So, Thanks. So, uh, Chamber of Commerce is coming uh, out opposing Prop 6. Why? Uh, you know, uh, we absolutely need to maintain our uh, highway infrastructure. Uh, there's no question that it's crucial to our economy to make sure that we can move goods in California, we can get people to work, we can move the goods from our ports to the rest of the country. But it's also a safety issue. Infrastructure needs to be maintained. Absolutely, we need to invest in our infrastructure. So I think one of the things that's really important is this is a user fee. It measures how much you use our roads and how much you rely on those. And so you pay an equal amount to how much you use. And the last time the gas tax was raised, even though it's a gas tax, but it's really a user fee, 
was when George Dukmajian, Republican, was governor oh. and saw the need that we have to maintain our infrastructure, and that was 25 years ago. Yeah, I, I was interested you, you said that because uh, user fees are kind of a Republican concept. Yes. Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting. But, you know, not all uh, business groups are uh, opposing Prop 6. There's some that are supporting it, like the California Farm Bureau. Um, why do you think they came to a different conclusion? Well, you know, it, it's, they use some uh, fuel, obviously, for their farms to run their, um, uh, if they have uh, uh, agricultural uh, production, you know, whether or not it be their tractors, tractors or, or whether or not it be to run their wells for their water delivery. So they have, you know, they may have diesel. So they have a, a special peculiar interest there that's probably a business deduction out of their farms. But, you know, so they don't want to pay anything more at all. But for you know, much of the people who are users who use the highways and not the farms, you know, for their travel, they need to make sure that the roads are safe, not only safe, but usable, and, um, and get rid of our traffic congestion. Well, let me ask you this. That indicates that gas in California is about 80 cents more per gallon than the national average. Um, what do you say to those who say that this extra 12 cents a gallon is just going to increase that gap? Well, it's going to hurt the economy. You, well, let's put it this way. You have to pay for our infrastructure. It doesn't come for free. And the last time the user fee, the gas tax was raised, was 25 years ago. And so today, a dollar, well, a dollar only buys, only buys half as much concrete as it did 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So let me put it in perspective, because George Shukmajian, you know, was governor during the Loma Prieta earthquake. He saw that our bridges need to be seismically retrofitted. He saw the need to maintain our infrastructure and invest in that. That was a Republican governor. We have a different governor, but still the same governor, Jerry Brown, recognizes we need to invest in our infrastructure today and in the future, or else we're all going to suffer both from safety perspective, but also from an economic perspective. We need to get our goods to where their destination. Yeah, there's, there's an ROI on that's kind of interesting. It's going to raise about $54 billion uh, in, in fees, but the return on investment is $144 billion, according to some studies, of additional economic output. So a pretty good a two-to-one return on investment, it appears to be. Um, let me ask you this. The proponents of, of Prop 6 are going to argue, listen, a, a new gas tax isn't needed, that the $5 billion a year this is going to generate can be found elsewhere. We can you know, cut the state budget. We can uh, look at uh, other ways to spend money specifically on capital products, on roads, regulatory reform. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, is the shortfall on, on road maintenance because we're just not spending our dollars wisely or there's, there's fraud, waste, and abuse in government? Oh, you know, with government, as, as with every aspect of government, you can always spend your money more wisely, but not to make up $54 billion over the next decade. And so everything else is on the margin. So you know what the the opponents or the proponents of Prop 6 talk about, well, we can take the rainy day fund. You know, we supported the creation of a rainy day fund because when the inevitable downturn comes, we don't want them raising taxes to fund general fund programs. And the people, the public voted to have a rainy day fund to substitute for general fund revenues so you don't have to raise taxes when that inevitable downturn occurs so we can fund our schools, our health care, the things that the general fund takes care of today. You know, and that's interesting you, you mentioned that because the rainy day fund, the money set aside, is about $16 billion. There's been studies that show that even a mild recession uh, would cost about f uh, $40 billion. And so even though, you know, $16 billion seems like a lot to set aside, even in a moderate uh, recession, it's not going to anywhere near cover uh, the amount of the, the cost that's going to be incurred by the government. Well, people will want that there. Mm -hmm. 
when the when the downturn. Hopefully, it won't be a recession, but a downturn is going to is going to cost. What the goes state. up must come down. And right? and do we want to maintain our schools, or do we want to raise taxes on everybody to fund our schools? And if you have that rainy day, if you divert that rainy day fund, first of all, it's a drop in a bucket compared to our transportation needs. But but you'll use all that up. You'll have to raise taxes to fund your schools, like we've done in the past. And you won't have enough money for your infrastructure. Well, well, there's your answer as to why you're opposing uh, Prop 6. Thank you very much uh, for that uh, part of the conversation. Up next, the politics of Prop 6. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Perhaps no proposition on November ballot has generated more interest than Prop 6, the effort to repeal SB1, the 12-cent uh, gas tax, among other things. Uh, our guests are Laurel Rosenhall with Cal Matters and John Myers with the LA Times. So, John... Uh, Although generally characterized as a repeal of the state's new fuel taxes and vehicle fees, there's an important aspect of this proposition that may be over, being overlooked, and that is it would require voter approval of any future fuel and uh, vehicle-related taxes and fees. What are the implications of that? Well, um, the, well, the implications simply are that the legislature won't be able to take action in the way it has in the past and certainly won't be able to do what it did uh, in increasing gas taxes in 2017, which is what this is all about. It really, to me, Mark, it's the sweetener of this, right? I mean, it's the thing, you know, voters love to vote they in do. the state on ballot measures. And any idea Particularly that on you, budget matters. Right. Well, budgets, taxes, things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Anytime you tell them you're going to get to have a say at that, that is what well, I think was, was designed to try to kind of boost that turnout. The polling hasn't shown it so far. I think they're struggling to get their message out. But I think clearly that was aimed at trying to get a yes vote uh, that much more so. And so that ballot box budgeting uh, issue again, Laurel. Um, so what do you think? Uh, pretty important implications if that thing passes? Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, cities and local governments are terrified about this mm -hmm. idea. And part of the problem is that, you know, this gas tax known as SB1 is really focused on maintaining the roads, really unglamorous kinds of projects, filling potholes, doing kind of some basic maintenance. And it's a basic government function. Is correct. But if you are now tasked with going to the voters to ask for money, then usually you're going to want to peddle something shiny and new. And how are you going to sell voters on the idea of, you know, we've just got to pave the roads? Well, let me ask you this. A lot of people seem to acknowledge that this proposition, Prop 6, is really about energizing the Republican base, uh, getting them out to vote, and particularly in those contested congressional races mm -hmm. uh, in California. Will it be enough to overcome the Trump factor in California? That was the goal. I'm not sure it's going to pan out, honestly. Um, you know, the recent polling doesn't look encouraging, and competitive districts only a little over a third of likely voters said they plan to vote yes on this. Now, um, you know, it, there's still another month to go, but the no camp, I'm sorry, the yes campaign doesn't have a huge amount of money, and I'm not sure in the end that'll be a huge game changer. I think, I think one of the most fascinating things out of this to me is that it's somewhat counterintuitive what you have to do as a voter here, because mm -hmm. if you don't like the gas tax, you have to vote yes. Right. Mm -hmm. If you like the gas tax, you have to vote no, and that's not the normal messaging you get in a campaign. It's like, no gas tax, but yes, oh, yes. on Prop 6. <laughs> so I think that is struggling there too, and honestly, they just don't have the money. I mean, all of the, the construction industry, the building industry, um, organized labor, the governor's backers, business groups are all in it for the gas tax to exist as it does. Um, the, the backers of the repeal have not had money after those congressional candidates put the money in. It's a really tough yeah, race. I think it's gonna, there are fractures there in the Republican Party between the business interests who, who want SB1 to stay in place and the anti-tax groups that want to 
get rid of it? I mean, isn't it critical? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. I mean, and, and the business groups have backed a lot of Republican politics in the past. You wonder if there's an after effect to all Well, this. I think this is part of kind of a bigger evolution we're seeing with business groups in California. You know, they're, they're no longer wedded to the Republican Party. You know, they have put a lot of money into fostering a cohort of moderate Democrats in the state legislature, right. and they have seen that the way to kind of get their policies across is to convince Democrats. So I don't see, I, I see this whole dynamic as kind of part of that bigger evolution well, let's, for let's business. Flip it. What about the Democratic Party? You've got a situation there where typically they don't like regressive uh, taxes mm-hmm. like a sales tax. Um, why haven't we heard more opposition from you know, progressives and, and Democrats you know, saying, you know, we don't want the gas tax either? I mean, some people are saying that. It's not that no one's saying it, but generally you have just an enormous broad range of constituencies that want this thing, including, you know, construction unions and many of the trades that this is going to be a ton of jobs. I, I, I think I think that's right. And I think also, too, the backlog is real. There have been uh, years and years Anybody and years. Anybody who drives knows that. Yeah, the backlog is real. Um, and there really is no other way to do it. There's, there simply hasn't been. You know, the, the, the opposition to the gas tax has said, well, you could use money from this pot or that pot or redirect this. But those are really complicated, very hard to do. I think the Democrats in the Capitol knew this was really the only thing to do. And even if they didn't love it, regressive tax is a really good point. They held their nose and went for it. And so we're going to see in November where the voters are. Let me ask you this. Governor Brown's sitting on $15 million uh, in campaign uh, war chest. We don't know if he's going to run again for something. But let's assume he's, he's not. Is he going to use some of that money? Not a chance. Really? Not a ch- I, I don't think so. No, it's, it's a bold prediction, right? I'll see if I'm wrong by the time voters uh, see this show. I don't think he does because I think that's his seed money to play in politics after he leaves in uh, the end of the year. I don't think Jerry Brown's going away. I think Jerry Brown wants to remain a force. I would also point out to people that on the 2020 ballot, we think we're going to see another fight over his parole changes, um, which he really cared about in 2016, Prop 57. He could want to come back and campaign to that. They have plenty of money to try to protect the gas tax in this campaign. I don't think Jerry Brown's You're going to make it unanimous? I was going to give a softer no. I was going to say basically. <laughs> I, <went out> there. <laughs> I was going to basically say only if he has to. I mean, if this, if kind of like the polls start changing a lot, or you know, someone comes in with a huge amount of money for for the other side, and circumstances really change, maybe he throws in a, a couple million dollars. But right now, it, you know, there's no there's no reason well, he would. I want to thank our guests, Laura Rosenhall with Cal Matters, John Myers with the LA Times. Paul Galuski from the California Legislative Analyst's Office, John Kupal from the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, and Alan Zarenberg from the California Chamber of Commerce. You know, make your voices heard. Vote. This is Mark Kepler for the Maddie Report. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in the Maddie Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Maddie Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.